does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Uh, the Colts offseason is here. Good Wednesday. <laughs> As Eddie Garrison claps. Yeah, it's been, uh, boy, quite the year for the Indianapolis Colts. I'm Kevin Bowen. Eddie Garrison is across the way. And, yes, we are here on a late Wednesday morning. Uh, I hate it. I don't know if we've ever done it in the history of Kevin's Corner, but we won't talk about the game that just happened. Like I, did, I see little reason to waste your time on that. And... I don't love it, but that's a reality of when you're four twelve and one. Quite, quite the ending uh, on Sunday afternoon, though. Uh, but the off season is here. Jeff Saturday and players chatted on Monday. Chris Ballard chatted on Tuesday, and with that, we felt like it was time to recap things. And you know, unless the Colts are blown away here early on, I think it could be kind of a quiet news cycle for the Colts. You know, I say that, and we'll have an emergency pod here at three o'clock in the afternoon today, but. Eddie, a whole lot to unpack from Chris Ballard yesterday. We'll get into the five interview requests so far for the Colts, share some thoughts. Um, I think if you are a fan of keeping Gus Bradley around, there's a candidate that stands out to me on that list. Um, so we'll, we'll touch on that here in a little bit. Uh, but Eddie, good to see you, man. Nice to see you as always. And first and foremost, I want to get this out here while we still have people listening in the front. Uh, thank you to everybody for bearing with us uh, through the entire season of what was um, an unprecedented times that we found ourselves in with the pod and with the Colts in general. So we thank you for watching, listening, and interacting um, each and every single week and encourage you to keep doing that through the offseason. Glad you said that. Thank you for doing that. You know, I tweeted out last night, like, I, I know this year sucked for Colts fans. And there's a lot of people that, that probably tuned us out, which I understand that aspect of fandom. I mean, I am a huge Notre Dame basketball fan, and I'm like, God, do I really want to watch them tonight? And they stink. And I, so I, I fully understand it but i've said it numerous times i think fandom is awesome i think it's great that people have passions um and obviously without it i don't have a job so maybe i'm selfish in that but um, i love seeing it i love experiencing it the highs and the lows of it certainly some lows this past year but with the end of the season brings it brings a glimmer of hope i think eddie i mean Mm -hmm. we're still a long way away from Real hope and tangible things and on-paper results, of course, but you've taken a step forward into a new era. And what that era will look like over the next X amount of months, obviously we'll break it all down for you. But with you know the incomplete pass to end the game from Sam Ellinger on Sunday, it's brought an ounce of hope. So let's begin with the Ballard Presser. What I liked... What I didn't like, shout out to Jason, loyal listeners, said, I think that's how you should break it down tomorrow. And I'm like, you know what, that's a pretty good idea. There's a whole lot to unpack from Ballard yesterday. So, um, Eddie, whatever I had queued up there to lead us off, go ahead. Uh, what he needed to do. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. He needed to be humble and he needed to, he needed to play that humility role. And, and I thought he played that. I, I'm not going to sit here and like give him a standing ovation for apologizing that he was bad at his job. Like That just... 
in a way it's like, hey, mom and dad, here's my 1.2 GPA. Aren't you proud of me? <laughs> no, you're going to sit there and be like, I apologize. I'll do better, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, you know, he, he should have done that. Um, I do have a question about that, though. It's the second consecutive off-season press conference where he's like, this is on me. Right. This is my fault. We'll learn from it. We'll get better. Where are we yeah. learning and where are we getting better? Well, two things on that front. Um, and I'll get into the roster construction question and answer that he and I had a back and forth on here in a few minutes. But I tweeted out a screenshot of the two mm-hmm. answers from the same question I've asked him now, back-to-back Januarys. The fact that I'm a- asking that question in back-to-back Januarys is not a good thing. The fact that he's answering it with like a... That's a good question. I need to look deeper into that. It's probably not a good thing either for the Mm -hmm. organization. I found myself in the early part of that press conference, because I always try to do this in the press conference. I always try to kind of set the scene, take a picture of whoever is up there, let the followers know of like, hey, this is the setting right now is what you're about to see unfold on your timeline. Eddie, I thought to myself, wow, it's kind of amazing he's up there right now. Like, he's going into his seventh year as general manager. And we all know the resume. The resume is no division titles in the easiest division in in football. It's one playoff win. The approach and position investment doesn't win in today's NFL. And in an offensive-heavy league, you just have one of the worst offensive years you'll ever see Yep. in the NFL. And again, what he believes in, O-line and D-line... D-line certainly a little better than the O-line, but I would argue neither is at the level that considering how much you've invested into the group, you're getting the return that you need. So there was like probably a two-minute period in his opening statement where I'm just kind of sitting there and being like, man, that's kind of crazy he's here. Mm -hmm. In in the NFL, you don't see people get a seventh year with a resume like that. And again, it's not like, Eddie, the Colts just went – seven and nine with the young emerging quarterback that you're just waiting to have a Herbert third year or two a third you know it's not like there's this ascension it's been a descension if that's a word like mm-hmm. it's going the other way so I I did kind of find myself right or wrong um doing that and again Ballard I thought handled it just fine like he's He's a smart dude. You don't he, have to worry about him not saying the right thing at a press conference. Says a lot about Brian Kelly. Behind a mic, there's a politician background of Brian Kelly. I don't know if Chris has politics in his background, but he knows what he's doing up there. And he knows how he looked two months ago. Yeah, I've said this before. He looked kind of like how Rosie looks when she doesn't share her, 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 her toy. You know, you, you can't pout. You're 4-12-1. You need to handle it from a humility standpoint, contrite, whatever word you want to throw in there. Um, and I thought he handled that. I, one pushback I had kind of on the opening statement was just like, I don't know if he said this in the open, but it, I, I thought he did. I didn't really understand like the whole everybody wants to cancel you when things don't go well. Yeah. I, I get that like cancel culture is this juicy phrase all of a sudden in today's lexicon, but Based off the NFL and that business, the bottom line business of the NFL, again, if you show someone a general manager resume that Chris Ballard has produced through six seasons, you don't get a seventh year nope. 80, 90% of the time. So I, I didn't, I did, like, okay, adversity, you know, it I like off being, on it. Yeah, I mean, that, that comment, I was just like, oh, geez, boy, I got to hide my, hide under the laptop for, oh, yeah, because we can't see, we can't see you guys in terms of the media. 
How did you guys all take that when he, he just kind of, you know, just kind of leisurely says, and I, I kind of get off on it? Yeah, and he was referring to, for those that missed it, which boy, um, he was referring to like adversity or, you know, a difficult situation and I need to get ourselves out of that difficult situation. Yeah, it was in it, response to if he if he ever thought about leaving Indy, he goes, no, I'm here right. to stay. Like, no transfer portal, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. yeah, I thought to myself, man, that will be memed out very quickly. Yep. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but I have. I, I never doubt social media, so I know it's only a matter of time on that front. So, again, I thought he handled it fine. His approach was fine. Um, so, I guess that's kind of the first thing. Yeah. Uh, roster construction, we kind of briefly went into that, but let's dive a little bit more into it in terms of what he had to say on his belief of going forward um, at the current, you know, thought process of building it up front in the trenches. Yeah, and again, he is very adamant that that will continue to kind of be on on, on the gravestone, and he said that. But I also felt like I heard, and maybe I don't know if this is me wanting to hear it, but I think I heard a little bit more of an open mindedness to do th- some things differently. I did and too. There were a couple of tidbits you can pull out in about 40, 45 minutes where he says the plan from a roster standpoint wasn't good enough. And there will be changes. He didn't say there will be changes 13 times throughout it, but it, the fact that he just said it a couple times lends me to think there will be... And the plan some, failed. Some personal change, personal changes. And yes, the plan failed. The word that I thought he used, which you guys have heard me say this about him, and I thought it was interesting that he said it about himself. I wonder if he's listening to you again, Bowen. <laughs> he used the word stubborn. And that's exactly how I would describe him when it comes to this process. He is stubborn. And, you know, when him and I have had a few back and forth in these sort of settings, some of it is also just like, I'm curious why he thinks the way he does. And we'll get into quarterback a little bit, but quarterback mm-hmm. is one of those. But I, I'm, because he is a very fascinating football mind to me. I, I do have a lot of respect for many of the things that he shares. And he is pretty introspective and detailed about those things. So it's more of just like, I don't get it at times, and, and when I do, you know, have questions or kind of push back on that. Um, again, the roster philosophy of I'm going to examine it hard. We're going to move forward, and we're going to grow. Now we're in the kind of see it. I'll believe it when I see it. Mm-hmm. Sort of phase of the off season. Yesterday, all he could do was words and body language, and he did that very well. Now it's what happens when you get to March. Yeah, and and, and how that unfolds into the draft as well. Um, but I, I just have this inkling that there will be some notable personnel changes. Like, I don't think it's just going to be plug in the draft pick of a quarterback at four or one or wherever. Do you and have any specific I, players that come to mind? I want to think more about that. Um, I think there are some pretty obvious names you can look at contractually, age-wise, and kind of pair together. Um, and I think maybe just kind of a different way of handling a free agency situation or building a little bit more cap space or again you can point to his free agent process eddie and say there's a hit there's a hit there's a hit it's just kind of reluctancy to pay him again pay him again and or try and hit more yeah i mean stefan gilmore was a great signing roddy mcleod really good signing you know autry if you want to go back a handful of years ago obviously autry would fall into the pay again camp you know eric ebron if you look at that contract what you got out of him for one year until all hell broke loose that was a great signing yeah so you can point to it's not that he's just 
routinely missed in free agency. Ryan Grigson missed a whole lot. Was Grigson John Bostic? Because I feel like John Bostic even had a good year underneath the Colts. Yeah, I want to say, boy, that's a name I haven't heard in a while. I, I think that was late Grigson for some reason. I don't know, maybe that was 2017 when Ballard like just canned the whole defense and rebuilt everything on that front. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if that was post post Terrell Freeman or what, but um, yeah, roster construction philosophy. You can find a lot of similarities in its answer from last January to this, but I do think there were some slight differences. We'll see how the actions play off of that. Um, if you have nothing else on roster construction, let's move on to the head coach searching comments. Obviously, he's not going to go too deep into it because he doesn't want to put the cards on the table, but um, I, I he was asked about if a head coach needed to have any experience, and he says no. And I'm glad he said no because I was if he said yes, um, then I'm assuming you guys would have all just like would have jumped on him. It's like, oh, what about Saturday then? If right. which I thought his answer about Saturday said a whole lot and how much voice he had. Uh, John Bostick, 2017. To that, okay, so he was part of that massive rebuild, going from the three four to the four three. Ballard had a phrase, Eddie, that I really liked that he used. And I think it was kind of his first words out when asked about what will you be looking for in a head coach? Or what have you learned maybe from the 2018 coaching process? And the, the phrase was, don't start with end in mind. Yes. I like that a lot. If you guys have heard me talk about Jeff Saturday and Jim Mercer's relationship and the search for a permanent head coach over the last month. Something you've heard me say often is this. Be open-minded. Don't rush to Jeff Saturday's hire. Eddie, does Arizona want to interview Jeff Saturday? Probably not. Does Carolina? No, they're about to interview Frank Reich, though. They made that announcement today. Or, well, Schefter. Does Houston? No, no. Nobody. So, you don't need to jump to any sort of conclusions with Jeff Saturday. He's going to be there. My morning co-host, Jake Corey, says this often. Jeff Saturday is kind of the safety school. I think it's probably a good way to describe um, him in regards to the other candidates. You know, Shane Steichen's a name that I know you like. I mean, he's mm-hmm. being rumored in a couple of different areas. Um, Gio Avero from the Broncos. Again, that name being thrown around a few more. Um, Aaron places. Glenn with the defensive coordinator of the Lions and Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator of the Lions. Yeah, so again, some of these guys are a little bit more sought after, but don't start with an end in mind. Be open-minded. And again, in 2018, the dude interviewed Matt Rule probably a year or two away before Matt Rule really had serious NFL traction. So, Ballard has shown precedent where he will think outside the box. Mm -hmm. I love that. This is such an unbelievable opportunity you have as a GM to seek out candidates, get intel, Find out what a staff might look like for these candidates. Learn different things. Do you look at what Raheem Morris says in an interview and what Ben Johnson says in an interview and say, man, if I could combine that somehow? Yeah, I love what John, when Johnson said about this. I love what Morris says about this. Mm-hmm. You know, That creates ideas to where then when you make that hire, you throw to that coach, hey, have you ever thought about it like this? It's such a awesome time to learn, to gather intel, utilize that. And I trust Ballard. To, to do that. I think he'll be very patient in this process. Sure, does there come a point in time where a candidate might say, hey, it's either you guys or I'm taking the job here? Sure, then you got to show your cards. But for now, 
milk it, milk the process. And it's frustrating for us because we want answers, we want clarity. But 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 absolutely milk it. Wide net, like you said, Eddie. No head coaching experience or head coaching experience is not a prerequisite. Open to college coaches, you know, all of those things. Um, he said all of that. I do think the area that Jeff Saturday has strengthened that is an area that Chris Boward will look for. And we see this in all coaching hires. You see a 180 from the previous candidate. You see a 180 from Frank Reich. And I think the a little bit more of a demonstrative personality, a little bit more of a, you know, I'm not afraid to rip you sort of personality, I do think that'll be something that is looked into. Um, and again, I think this is very natural in any sort of coaching process. I mean, in our market, look at the Indiana Pacers. In resume and in voice, think from Frank Vogel to Nate McMillan to Nate Bjorkren to Rick Carlisle. Yeah. None of those back-to-back hires were ever the same. Mm -mm. If you look at, like, I think right now the early list for the Houston Texans, they, they just went with a couple of older hires in David Coley and Lovey Smith. I want to say all of their candidates right now are in their 40s or 30s. Like I, I just think it's natural for teams to, in any organization. Okay, to, this guy didn't work. Yeah, we need something very, very different. And so for Frank, I don't think it's necessarily side of the ball or offense defense. I think it's how he held players accountable and wanting a little bit more of a louder voice and, and i know that sounds like third grade screaming and yelling but just rah, rah guy i don't know yeah rah rah i think at times gets a little bit too negative of a connotation they just think cheerleader and they don't know any x's and o's or yeah. something like that but i just mean someone that's a, a little bit more willing to kind of light a fire um and you can do it in different ways right or wrong obviously there are coaches with a frank reich tony dungy temperament that have had a lot of success in the nfl i don't want to act like it's a must but again from what you just had you probably want something different and i think that is an element to saturday's resume that ballard likes so i'm keeping in mind that um throughout this process whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So you think Ballard would be open to a return of Jeff Saturday? I'm not saying that. No, no. I think, well, first off, Jeff Saturday, or, um, Jim Mercer will will make the final call. And well, I, yeah. I, I guess I'll just interject here before we get back into Ballard specifically. On the Saturday front, I don't understand how one in seven and losses of historical proportions to end the year doesn't matter. I think acting like the Carolina situation is so vastly different than the Colts situation is extremely lazy. Carolina fired their defensive coordinator, traded away their best player, started PJ Bleepin' Walker for half of Steve Wilkes' games. And went six and six. And if you looked at the first, if you looked at the Matt Rule start to this season for Carolina versus the Frank Reich start to the season, you could argue the Colts had a better football team under Reich than Carolina had under Rule. 
The Colts are what, 3-5-1? and one. Yep. They'd beaten two playoff teams, <laughs> Kansas City and Jacksonville. I know it sounds crazy. They hadn't gotten blown off the field to the level that Carolina had in the two weeks before they fired Rule. And if you wanted to, you could chalk up 3-5-1 and one and say, that's because that man is turning the football over at an extraordinarily high level in Matt Ryan. Mm-hmm. Carolina really didn't have that. And no. yet here comes Steve Wilkes, again, P.J. Walker and Sam Darnold and Baker. I mean, hell, Baker was gone. You could act like Baker ended up being gone. You could act like he was their most competent quarterback at the time, and he left. And yet they still go 6-6. Six and six. If Jeff Saturday had gone 5-3, and three, we'd be praising him to the nth degree. We'd be building a statue for him. But because <laughs> the reverse happened, we can't evaluate that. And that was an odd answer. I asked Ballard yesterday, I go, where does 1-7 and seven where does that come in the evaluation process of Jeff Saturday? And he was like, pretty much it doesn't. And that was the one Saturday answer that I thought he was pretty lukewarm on him until that. And that was one I was like, man, are you just doing this because he's up in the ring of honor and you don't want to rip him? And you know the owner really likes him? I, I, that was a little bit odd to me. This is where I stand on Saturday. I think the late season embarrassment, I'd say entering su- Sunday's game, Eddie, I was probably 50-50 Saturday gets this job. Yeah. Permanently. Exiting, I'm less than that because I just think the continued embarrassment reached proportions that you can't go back on. Now, having said that, Chuck Pagano talked himself back into the head coaching job here in Indianapolis in front of Jim Irsay. Mm-hmm. I would argue Jeff Saturday has more of an emotional connection to Jim Irsay than Chuck Pagano did. And when is Jeff Saturday at his best? Yep. That's me tapping on a mic, if you guys can't hear that. What was Jeff Saturday's job before taking the Colts job? Talking. Talking on ESPN. Yep. That's when he's at his best. So, <laughs> does he talk himself back into, you know, Jim yeah. Irsay, who has the final call? Those are the questions that I have on that front. Um, Is there anything more? Because you kind of went in right into, or at least I led you straight into what you didn't like the first thing in Saturday messaging. Yeah, I guess that kind of covers everything on the Saturday front. Um, you know, I asked him when the interim move was made, did you want to promote from within? And his short but sweet quote was, it never really got to that point. The discussion was Jeff, and when we decided to go that way, that's where we were going. I thought he said when he decided to go that way. Ooh, I think it was a we and that pronoun is not a 50-50 split, if you follow yeah, where, where I'm going with that one. Yeah, um, I think that covers everything Saturday related. On that, I guess one, not necessarily Saturday. I think it dates back to Reich, but I thought there was a phrase that Ballard used yesterday that I agreed with, and I have not heard this phrase used before to describe a football team. Was the phrase competitive confidence? Yep, our competitive confidence was gone. I would agree with that and listening to him describe it a little bit more. You know, Eddie, the podcast we did before the start of the season, we laid out three points in why you should be optimistic about the Colts season and then three of why you should be skeptical. Obviously, the optimistic points were a little bit more, at the time, relevant. You felt like easier to find, et cetera. The pessimistic ones were a little bit more of a search. But one of the real pessimistic ideas I had about the Colts entering the season was how would this team perform with a bullseye on its back? 
in Vegas, they were the unquestioned AFC South favorite Yeah, entering the year. How would they perform? And I think when he says competitive confidence, basically what he meant was within games, when shit got tough, we folded. And think about the runs that Dallas went on, that Minnesota went on, that the Giants went on. Even earlier in the season when you had Reich, I mean, things can snowball. And just there was an inability. I would argue this, Eddie. Outside of Stephon Gilmore, name me one Colt that made big plays in the fourth quarter this year. Oh, my. I don't think anybody. Chase McLaughlin? (laughs) (laughs) 54 yards, baby, Chase on Sunday. Shout out to him. I mean, Alec Pierce's touchdown against Jacksonville. Like, I, I, yeah, we are searching and searching. Jelani Woods against Kansas City. I mean, just searching for an answer there. And I, I just think this team struggled when game pressure rose and the bullseye. I mean, from week one, they just struggled with being the AFC South favorite. I mean, you get down by, what, 17 week one to Houston, a miracle comeback, you end the game in a tie, et cetera, et cetera. Week two, you get shut out in Jacksonville. Yeah. Quickly back to reality. Quickly back to trying to play as an underdog. And then for once, under Frank Reich, they didn't play well as an underdog. So I thought that was an interesting phrase that he used. Again, a little bit more Reich and Saturday related, but uh, as we're talking about the coaching situation, I thought it was relevant to bring up then. Uh, point number two that you have on what you did not like, uh, quarterback issues and how he addressed the issues. So if you want to go positive, Eddie, you can go here. When he talked about the mistakes of the franchise, you know, to be fair, a lot of it's like we're looking into that right now. You know, th- There were elements of the press conference I'm like, is this just going to be a we blame Frank Reich for everything, like we blame mm-hmm. Carson Wentz for everything last year? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's there, but it's a, it's a thought that entered my mind. During the presser, but, but hey, he still talks to Frank, and they're good friends. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, anyways, um, the issues. The first mistake he said was a quarterback turnover, and I nodded my head internally. Yeah, yes, that to me seems rather obvious. Obviously, it's something I've brought up numerous times on this podcast, and honestly. Last year in the playoffs, I think the popular thing that we saw as the playoffs unfolded was how can you look at these teams still standing? By the way, Rosie loves the song I'm Still Standing from Sing. It's now stuck in my head if anyone out there <laughs> wants a song to get stuck in their head. How can you look at these teams and not acknowledge what the wideout position does for them? You know, the final eight teams, the final four teams, you don't need to go over the wideouts that were left, but I mean, bona fide studs. This year, you turn on the TV Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I guess Monday's an NFC game. You turn on next week and you watch an AFC game, look at those seven quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. They're all under the age of 27. All drafted. All drafted, all in the first round. Lamar Jackson being the latest of the 32nd pick. Again, we'll see if Jackson plays, Tua plays, etc. But obviously they started the vast majority of games for their franchises. Three of them, three of the seven, giant trade-ups to get those quarterbacks. So, to me, it's... I go back to a point I made earlier, and I would probably need to get Ballard a little bit more one-on-one to have this further conversation. He's always been hesitant to pull the trigger in the draft on a quarterback. Yeah. And where I am a little bit puzzled by that thought process is, Eddie, think about where he came from. I mean, he was one of the early members of the Chiefs organization to identify, do research, do homework on Patrick Mahomes. 
That was the 2016 college football season, entering the 2017 draft. Ballard leaves in January for the Colts GM gig. Obviously, Kansas City trades up in April for him. So, we are such creatures of our own environments Mm -hmm. that I'm surprised that he didn't or hasn't looked at what's happened in Kansas City and thought, Andy Reid, one of the greatest offensive minds this league has ever seen, sat there and said, we get to the playoffs with Alex Smith, but we can't do anything when we're there. we got to do something different at that position. And they go out and make the move for Mahomes, and now look at him. It's one of the greatest. Transform the entire NFL, really. Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, that's probably the accurate way to put it. And it's an unbelievable five-year run that they've had um, in the AFC and in the NFL in general. So, again, when I hear some of that, I'm like, Boy, like it's just confusing to me that they've operated at quarterback in this light. Again, he clearly has felt the team has been in position where stopgap's the way to go, and we're going to go short term, and you know we'll just figure it out. Um, sounded pretty willing to trade up to number one. I thought that was one of the more. I think that was one of the statements that he said with the most like conviction. Yeah, I, 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 I would agree on that. Um, it. I would agree, but then he also had that answer about if I finally take one, you'll all praise it, and there's no guarantee that it works out. Kind of the old, like, you just want me to take one just to take one, and then you'll rip me if the guy's a bust. Yeah. And he said that quite often in his tenure, and again, I sense a hesitancy and a reluctancy from him to do that. But I also am like, why take an NFL GM job if you have a hesitancy and a reluctancy to do that? Mm-hmm. That's what works. That's what gives you the best chance to have the sustained success. So if you're taking this job and you want to succeed at the highest level, the bat's got to come off your shoulders at some point. If you're not willing to swing at the pitch, then your average is going to be 157, and you better hope you get on base via walks and airs and that your teammates move you around. So... Like, when you don't swing, you aren't giving your organization the best chance to win. And now I think you've reached a breaking point. And again, this is where I'm battling, like, is this me hoping Ballard does this or is this me thinking he'll do it? But I think at some point, Eddie, you have to realize the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Yep. The path that they've taken at quarterback has gone where? Nowhere. Zero division titles, one playoff win. So isn't it time to go down the different path? You would think so, right? So that's kind of where I'm at with that. Um, I was a little confused on the timeline he was mentioning about the year that they seriously thought about trading up for a quarterback. It was a question I asked him in relation to Kansas City, Buffalo. You know, why haven't you done that? I thought he referenced the 2020 draft. He did. Okay, so that would have been 13 overall, just to go over that draft for everybody. 2019 season, Jacoby 7-9 and nine after Andrew Luck retires. You signed Phillip Rivers in whatever month that would have been, probably March, just before the start of free agency, um, pretty much right when COVID was, was getting underway. Joe Burrow goes 1, Tua goes 5, Herbert goes 6. Of recent drafts, it's probably one of the few that you had teams at 2-3-4 not take a quarterback, and then 5-6 and six have turned out to be pretty good selections. Uh, yeah. And Ballard mentioned that was a serious thought. And 
he threw in the caveat of, yes, while we seriously thought about it, I'm really, really happy with how DeForest Buckner has turned out. Eddie DeForest Buckner has been a really good football player for the Colts. He has really indeed. Good. He and has a really indeed. good human character, all of that. Durable, productive, all those things. DeForest Buckner, I would say, is what played at a Pro Bowl level yeah. in his three years here. Call him a top, I don't know, five defensive tackle in mm-hmm. this league. You could push him up maybe a little higher than that. But I, well, let's just say, to be safe, call him top five. And the team results with Buckner have been what? No, no. division titles, no, no playoff no. wins. Yeah. If One appearance, right? Yeah, just that first year played played at Buffalo in that in that first year. If you would have traded up and used that thirteenth pick, and obviously you would have had to throw in an extra. But if that pick would have been a quarterback that has, let's say, not maybe been at Buckner's level, but maybe they've been at like the eight to ten range quarterback level, we'd be talking about a team playing this weekend. In the playoffs. We'd be talking about a team that have just won the AFC South. And we'd be certainly talking about, more than anything, we'd be talking about a future franchise that is on much, much more solid ground than it currently is on. Um, And I guess that comes back to positional value. If you get the same level of play at quarterback that Buckner's given you at defensive tackle, Frank Reich is still here. Chris Bowles still here, and you could argue those extensions they got a year and a half ago might look pretty darn good. And warranted. Yeah, and, and warranted, as long as that quarterback is, was on the trajectory of how you view a Herbert, how you view a Tua, again, Tua if if healthy, considering his concussion situation. So, I, I guess that's where I'm at at quarterback. I know it's a lot of different avenues that we just went down. I think he understands the magnitude, and honestly, Ursay will probably be a mandate. With, with quarterback more than anything. I could totally see that happening. Um, but it does feel like I finally realized that we need to – we have the fourth overall pick. If we don't take a quarterback, we that that's pretty dumb. Yeah, I'm going to pat myself on the back because I'm the first one on the pod who brought up the 2020 draft on the downturn and the yeah. spiral. It, it Again, when Andrew Luck shocks the world, Eddie – on whatever it was, August 26th, whatever the date was, once, and I saw Chris Bowers, I sat four feet away from him in that press conference. He was pissed. And boy, was he right to be pissed. Yeah. So, I mean, he wears his emotions on his sleeve. He said that yesterday. I've seen it firsthand. He definitely does. We've all, we've certainly all seen it. Great. We love passion, man. (laughs) You know, again, fandom's awesome. I love passionate people. But once that venom, and honestly, maybe the venom still needs to be there. Once that venom starts to simmer, you gather as an organization and you say, guys, I don't care how good of a football team we think we have right now. That position means monumental proportions, but, whatever you want to say. But you know, the first thing he said when he got to Indianapolis was... I know. It's not about one position. Yeah. I know. I know. But that's what you got to say to your scouts. You know, again, this is where I'm confused because in Kansas City... They got together as an organization at some point and said, we're making rather routine playoff appearances with Alex Smith. And we have a brilliant offensive mind. But that's not good enough. So how do we get to the next level? And they said, we're going to be sitting at 27 in round one. I think that's where they started. Yeah. And we're going to get all the way up to 10, and we're going to keep it quiet and all these things. And 
I guess last thing on quarterback, unless you got any more to add, Eddie. You look at C.J. Stroud, you look at Bryce Young, you look at the draft position. I'll say this a lot over the next three and a half months. Don't forget Will Levis. Will, Will Levis as well. But I guess I'll I'll slot Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud together because I think there's a little bit more consensus there. If they're considered on a tier by themselves, you have to go up to number one to get them. Because you know what Houston's doing it to. And hell, if I'm Chicago, if I'm Chicago, what I do is this. I trade back to two. And then I see if I want to trade back again. Because what Chicago is looking at is they're looking at, all right, Kings ransom for number one. Who wants it? Houston has got 12 picks in this draft. Yeah. So they can give you some nice ammo just to move up one spot and get their pick of the quarterbacks. Again, I'm saying if teams view Stroud and Young on a very similar scale. Or I guess I should say if you view one a little bit above the other. And then if you're Chicago, you can sit there in two and say, we're going to take the best non-quarterback in the draft. Or they could trade back to four with Indy, and they could say, all right, we know quarterbacks are going to go one and two. We know with pick three, let's say that's Will Anderson out of Alabama. Or Jalen Carter. So that means they either get Will Anderson or Jalen Carter at four, or, and I don't know if there's an offensive player that qualifies as this, Eddie, but, or they could get the best non-quarterback that plays offense. And again, I don't know if there's a player that necessarily fits that at four. Paris Johnson? Yeah. Skaronsky or whatever his yeah, name is? TCU, wideout Johnson. Like, I don't know if he's there, but that is an avenue. I, so I think Chicago sits in a beautiful, beautiful spot there. Um, Anything the, else I missed? Odds on favorite here for number one. Uh, this is on FanDuel. Bryce Young, minus 110. CJ Stroud, plus 200. Jalen Carter and Will Anderson are both plus 500. Uh, and yes, one final, final thing uh, that you did not like, paying Jonathan Taylor top dollar no matter what. Weren't a lot of personnel questions yesterday, rightfully so. You know, Usually it's a big presser where like we ask about pending free agents, and I don't think there was one question about any of the free agents, and I don't like fault. I, I guess I'm trying to stand up for my colleagues here. I don't fault my colleagues. You know, we have other Ballard pressers between now and free agency, so we can ask them about that. But I do wish you guys would have asked him about Zaire because I would have been interested to see what he would have said. It's the season he had. Yeah. yeah. It just, the mood, man, it just didn't even feel like you could go down that path. Oh, I, I totally you know? agree with you guys. And, you know, he's typically gone an hour. I mean, he still went 45 minutes. It's an extraordinary amount of time. But there have been end of year pressers where he's like, I'm not leaving until you guys are done asking. He wasn't in that mood. I mean, he still talked, and I was very appreciative of his time and, and and did text him afterwards telling him thank you for that. But on the ta- – I guess there were three personnel questions. That Taylor and Pittman? Taylor, Pittman, and Ryman. Yeah. Um, so let's start with Taylor. We pay great players great money. It's the same sort of answer he gave about Braden Smith and Darius Leonard a couple of seasons ago. When, Shaq. Well, I guess at the time, Darius, yes, Shaq. Um when those extensions came. Um, I don't believe that. I don't love that, but I think we can accept reality. He's going to pay Jonathan Taylor pretty good money. You mean you can make? You can also make the argument that Zach Moss looked pretty darn good, and, that, it, and that's the reason why you don't need to pay Zach a Moss, running back top dollar. Zach Moss and Quiddy Pay have some of the biggest like upper leg thigh action in, in the non quads way I can say that. Quads, that would be the body description. Thank you for the body part on that. Um, 
upper thigh action. <laughs> yeah, no, probably not my best effort there, to say the least. It sounds like he won't need surgery. Bauer didn't know that for sure, but he said, you know, it kind of sounds like that with Taylor's ankle surgery. So, again, if past precedent is anything, Jonathan Taylor will get a contract extension probably late summer, and it will be notable running back money. On the Pittman front, and Bauer and I, I think, align on, on, on Pittman. I just I love how tough he is. I love how he plays the game. Love how passionate he is. Um, at a position where sometimes you question guys' passion for the game, I don't think you have any doubt with Pittman yeah. and how he plays. Now, as Ballard pointed out, is he a guy that like every time you touch, he touches the football, you feel like he can take it to the house? No, he's not there. And the whole number one debate. I think when people say, is he a number one, what they really mean is, is he a top ten wideout in this league? That would qualify as a wide receiver one. That's what they mean. Like when people say is he a one, they don't mean are you the best wideout on your team because obviously Pittman is that, and Pittman would be the best wideout on a couple of other teams in the NFL. I'm not acting like he'd be on a lot of them, but he would be on a couple of others. I think Bauer realizes that Pittman didn't reach his full potential, and there were some drops, and there were some issues that he had himself. I think quarterback play held him back as well in, in getting to that level. So I'm interested to see how the Pittman extension will play out. Again, that position, whew, we saw it last year. And I don't know, are we going to have to wait for Justin Jefferson to set the market? Jefferson's got the same, same, same draft class. You're Pittman's agent. Hell yeah, you are. Jefferson's got the fifth-year option. You know How much does Cincinnati pay a T. Higgins? You know, he's in that draft class, one spot ahead of Pittman, so there's a little exact comparison there. So I'm very curious to see how that will unfold. Because again, past precedent, Ballard has proven, Leonard, Braden Smith, uh, Naheem Hines, if you exceed your value on your rookie deal, I'll extend you before the end of your rookie deal. And Taylor and Pittman go into the final years of their contracts right now. And then Ryman, he feels like he can be the left tackle of the future. And I think late in the year, we saw enough from Ryman to understand where Ballard's coming from with that answer. As Ballard pointed out, he's got to get stronger. Don't deny that at all. Yeah. I think he does. But this is a dude that played two years of tackle at Central Michigan. There was going to be growth. And I feel like I don't think you totally cross left tackle off off your sheet, if you will, of offseason priority but I think you do move it down a notch or two I I still think drafting a tackle at some point or and or making a free agent move there makes a lot of sense you know someone called into our show earlier today it was David David that David's a truck driver his favorite highway is 65 south David brought up an interesting point he brought up Peter Skaronsky who you mentioned earlier from Northwestern what if you drafted him move Braden Smith I think he thought Skaronsky at left tackle. Then you move Braden Smith inside to guard. You think back to earlier in the year when they moved Braden Smith to guard, a big reason why they did that, you know, it was only for a game or two, is because they thought they were getting manhandled at guard. They just thought they weren't strong enough, just like too weak, getting run over yeah. at guard. And again, Braden Smith has more of the guard background than than Ryman. I think we got to set. I, I think we really got to stress that point. I hear so many people say move Ryman to guard. Ryman's got no guard history. Yeah. He was a tight end turn tackle. You leave those dudes a tackle. Brain Smith is the guard turn tackle. He's got more of a guard body on him. He has some history there. I would say a lot of history there in college. Obviously, really none in the NFL. Um, again, I don't like taking tackle in the top 10, 
but it was an interesting point that was brought up. Uh, so, knowing Ballard, it's probably something we shouldn't totally rule out. Because he was asked about that, right? It's like, should fans not be surprised or something if you did not take yeah, a quarterback at four? Again, how much is that Ballard just trying to be funny and trying to play a game of poker? I Probably a little bit of that. I mean, we're going to get a lot of poker. And if the Colts are doing their job right, Eddie, we won't know at all who they like. That's That's true. I mean... I'll never forget that Kansas City traded up to get Mahomes, and all of a sudden it came out like a couple weeks later that New Orleans really wanted them. And they're like, man, where did that come from? It came from Jordan Spieth being in the Saints draft room that night and the Saints being mad when Kansas City came screaming up to get Mahomes. And Spieth like asked around, they're like, yeah, we really liked Patrick Mahomes. We were going to take him here. And Jordan Spieth. The golfer. Really? Yeah, I guess it was close to Sean Payton, or maybe it was another golfer, Ryan Palmer, who was from. I figured Spieth it was the golfer. Ago. I was, I was just making sure you yeah. were doubling down on the right name. Yeah, there. yeah, Jordan Spieth, and then it came out, you know, a few days later, and the Saints were like, "Yeah, you know," and this was the Saints saying this before Mahomes obviously had, you know, unfolded his NFL career like it did. So, I think the Colts are open-minded to Ryman as the permanent left tackle, and I think they have. I think there's merit to believe that. And if they're right, huge. That is huge, Eddie Garrison, in crossing off a need that is very important right now. All right. I know we went a little long there with what we liked, didn't like, and before we got into Twitter questions. So are you ready for those now? Yeah, yes, sir. Let's let's do them. Matt? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Is up first. What sense do you get that Jeff Saturday will be the coach next year and the Colts will trade up or draft a quarterback? Okay, Matt, I'm back. Again, I'm a little back under a coin flip. Um, now, Jim Irsay? Makes the final call. He can re-woo you, man. You know, think about the X. It's talked you back into it. Hell, there might be some actions that have talked you back into it. But in this case, I, I nicely think, done. I, I think it's just words. But that's where I'm at. Uh, the other question was what trade up, trade up or draft a quarterback. Again, so much of this is an unknown. And as I just said, if the Colts are doing their job, we won't know. But I, at this point, I'd be very surprised if the Colts did not walk away with a quarterback in the first four picks of the draft. If you feel like Bryce Young and or C.J. Stroud are in a tier, or you think one quarterback is above the other, any of them, throw throw Levis into that group, which I know would scare a lot of people, but throw Levis into that group, I have, you will not hear me, you will not hear me on April 30th, almost said 31st. There's definitely not 31 days in April. You will not hear me on April 30th, Eddie, say the Colts are idiots for trading up for the first pick. I I am not this believer of, like, that's too much to give up for if the player is the right player and that player literally touches the ball on every single play, you go get him. You cannot sit and wait. You cannot, you know, I I, I hear people, Stroud will be there at four. That's the risk you want to take? How about Seattle sitting there at five, Eddie? Seattle's got the fifth pick, and they got the 20th pick? Mm-hmm. They have another one. And what happens if Seattle loses on Saturday? And Pete Carroll says enough is enough. And they bring in some young offensive mind to be the head coach. And they say, Geno Smith, great season. But, man, we got the fifth pick and we got the 20th pick and we feel like we can move up into the top three. 
as much as people think Chicago wants Kenny Moore, I'd argue Chicago probably wants the 20th pick more than they want Kenny Moore. Yeah. You know, like when you're talking trade packages and all that, the fact that you have an additional first round pick in that draft, in that same draft, very beneficial. Very beneficial to your trade package. Jacob is next. Are you worried about the first round of coaches that the Colts are interviewing and have not even reached out to Jim Harbaugh yet? I would prefer Harbaugh, but if not him, I'm hoping for others with better resumes than these current four or five. Where are we at on this Harbaugh front? I'm in I'm in no. Like no as in you don't want him or I'm a, I'm a no, like I do not want Harbaugh. What is he doing? Is this agent driven? Like, did you see the report from Carolina? That he's not even interviewing with them or something like that? Or they had like that brief discussion with him after some convincing from the Harbaugh camp. Or some after Carolina like listened to convincing from the Harbaugh camp. I didn't see that part, no. I, I, yeah. I'm very confused on the Harbaugh front. Is this purely contractual? Like, Mel Tucker makes this amount of money at Michigan State. It's a joke that I don't make that amount of money. I would understand Harbaugh having frustrations there. Uh, the game of college football certainly changed a whole lot Yeah, in the last couple of years. But I am very confused on that front. Um, you know, there was a, a report out there that Ed Dodds, number two in line here in Indy, is a big fan of Harbaugh. And, and Harbaugh is a big fan of Dodds. Right. And that they could have been paired up together in possible you know, places in, in previous years. So does that come into play there? I, I don't know what's going on there on the Harbaugh front. I, I um he's a unique cat, Eddie. He, he's a really unique cat. The NFL success he had was pretty incredible. Uh, it was also about a decade ago. Yeah. A whole lot's changed. How would he you know, handle this. And again, he did that with Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick, who, you know, both those guys played pretty good football for him, but you don't view them as, you know, he had Peyton Manning. So I'm very interested to see how the Harbaugh thing plays out. I'm maybe not as fully anti him as it sounds like you are, but I also am not like you hire Harbaugh, have the parade tomorrow. Right. I don't think it's an absolute given. And then there is the elephant in the room of what happens to Ballard. Does Harbaugh want contractual control? Yeah, just also to... Or um, uh, personnel control. just want to throw this out there, too. So I know uh, Ballard had his press conference yesterday, but his previous, uh, the previous person in his position was fired on January 21st. Yep. Yeah, season ended January 8th. Ryan Grixon was fired January 21st. So, and that one, it wasn't like it occurred and... We want the head coach to have more personnel control, you know? Yeah. It seems to be if Jim Irsay would have to fall in love, absolute love with a candidate, I think, for that to happen. Uh, Cameron is next. With the franchise at an all-time low, years into a failed quarterback carousel, is there any other option than trading up to the first overall pick to get Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud? Just doesn't seem like this is an opportunity that can be wasted. I just hate that Chris Ballard never seems to want to make a big move like that. And he was asked about that yesterday. Yeah, and again, to your point, Eddie, that you made earlier, there was some conviction behind him in mentioning that he'd be willing to trade up to the first pick. 
you know, wasted opportunity. I, I could not agree more with that word. It is an opportunity that can't be wasted. And you just, I just don't think you can sit on your ass and think that quarterback's coming coming to you at four. And I guess Miami did that with Tua, and the Chargers did that with with, with Herbert. Um, I think another thing to mention about the Bears. Big yawn from me. Apologies on that. There's the Matt Eberflus connection, but you know Chris Boward and Ryan Poles work together yeah. in Kansas City. I, I think it's worth pointing that out as well. I mean, those are the two that'd be doing the business together. Oh boy, that that sounded awkward. <laughs> um, I guess I'm channeling my Chris Ballard. You get off on that too, KB? With, with that statement, well, no. <laughs> no. Um, uh, difficult difficulty in transitioning from that, but we, we, we will. There is a connection there, so you know that would help the Colts. I, I don't know if Chicago cares about it to this degree, but like, if you were to trade the number one overall pick, wouldn't you want to trade it to an AFC team? Like, I don't think it's the end of the world if you traded it to an NFC team, but I think yeah. ideally you would do that. Uh, but man, if you are Chicago, I would hold that thing until 7.44 on Thursday night, the final Thursday in April, and just say, who's desperate? How desperate are you? I mean, that's if it turns out in NFL circles there is a tier one of Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, and Will Levis falls on tier two. You can dangle that pick. Oh yeah. How wild it would be, would it be if they fall in love with the quarterback and they say Justin Fields is up? Oh my. Is that the most absurd idea in the world? I don't think it's the most absurd idea because that roster itself is. You know, it's about two to three years away, and you reset the the clock at quarterback in terms of contractually. Yep, I think that's a very good point to make. You and, trade Fields for some, and you'd be able draft capital, right? You'd be able to trade Fields probably for a first round pick and maybe a third round pick. And should we mention that Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus were not with the organization when that pick was made? Bingo! And that stuff matters. That stuff matters. People it's like have the Holy egos. Trinity. They want their guys. Patrick is next. Question I wish uh, you would ask when given the opportunity. Chris Ballard talked about how the organization, quote, postmortems everything. What are some examples uh, they identified areas they should have or could have done something different uh, that haven't been publicly scrutinized? Yeah, I... I guess I'd have to go back and vet like every Ballard press conference, but I feel like for the most part, when Ballard has publicly said this is an area of need, they've gone out and addressed it. Um, again, like his words need to like say that for them to then follow through on their actions. I mean, you brought up John Bostic earlier. I mean, that one stands out to me a lot. I mean, he roasted the defensive talent he felt like was here when he took the job. From was Papa Mike here with him? Mike Adams? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Mike Adams, the... I know Mike Mitchell was. The Trent Coles, you know, the Mathises, the Waldens, you know, those types of guys that were still around. And obviously they made a big scheme change, so that contributed to a lot of it, but, but the personnel as well. So I... Patrick, I'm sure you can find instances where Ballard has said something in January or February and then his actions in March or April have not. I mean, for example, one that I can think of is, you know, last year at the Combine, the Paris Campbell comment of we can't act like he's number two or three on the depth chart. Well, then they acted like he was two or three on the depth chart. Now, again, credit to Paris Campbell, who 
you know, obviously some some luck was on his side, but what an unbelievable season he had and just staying healthy and producing out of a nice clip uh, for sure. But, yeah, I, I feel like for the most part he follows through on his words. Uh, first of all, thanks for all the work this season. This is from Daniel. This is by far the most fan interactive of my favorite Colts podcast. Oh, I love hearing that, Daniel. Thank you. You know me, baby. We appreciate it dearly. Available, informative, interactive. Those are the three goals. Uh, Keep up the great work. First question, who deserves the most blame for this season from the following? Please order the blame uh, from least to most. Okay, so we we got a list coming. Frank Reich. Get the pen and paper out. Chris Ballard. Jim Irsay. Jeff Saturday. Matt Ryan. Carson Wentz, Ooh. and the guy who catches a stray bullet every time Chris Ballard talks, Andrew Luck. He did mention Luck, right? I think that was a question that I that I asked him about trading up for quarterback. Um, wow, that is a long list. There are some interesting names on that list. Daniel, tremendous work with that. I start with Jim Mercer. He oversees it all. He ultimately signs off on everything. So that's the most... I would say the most to blame. Okay. Uh, Next on the list would be Ballard. I really had no issue in Luck retiring. The timing of it, I do think, was unfortunate and put the Colts in a poor situation. I'd probably put Luck third. I put Reich fourth. Matt Ryan, 5th. Carson Wentz, 6th. Jeff Saturday, 7th. I slide Andrew Luck down to 6th and move every... You go that low? Yeah. Yeah, I don't... Because, I mean, the Luck's problems weren't as a result of Ballard. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I probably have Luck a little bit too high. I could not believe that that Ballard said yesterday we thought Carson Wentz would be the guy for five to six to seven years. Like, it's rather shocking to me that Frank Reich and Chris Ballard, for lack of a better term, just ignored what the Philadelphia Eagles were telling you about Carson Wentz. Yeah. Like, I've said this numerous times. Follow this timeline, Eddie. Carson Wentz signs a $140 million deal. I think it was like... Let me just look it up. Twenty eighteen. Um, I was gonna say after the twenty eighteen season, before twenty nineteen. Yeah, Does that sound right. Plays the twenty nineteen season was fine. I think that was was that the year where they had like the late season run to the playoffs. If I'm not, they like won their last four games or something like that. Something like that. You got a concussion. Wentz played pretty good football for them. They're late. Um, I'm gonna look this up to make sure I have everything right. But basically. He signs the extension, and then you go out there and you draft Jalen Hurts. And okay, he signed the extension with the Eagles on June tenth, twenty nineteen. So before the twenty nineteen season, yeah, he signs the one hundred and twenty eight million dollar deal. Twenty nineteen season plays out. Wentz was fine, played pretty well. Late season success, get to the playoffs. You know, all all of those things. Happy and merry, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he played all 16 games, 9-7, and seven, made the playoffs, 27 touchdowns, 7 picks. Fine year. 
They come back in 2020. Did you say 27 and 7? I know. Ironically <laughs> enough, he's done that twice in his career. I definitely did not do it this year. Boy, he's thrown seven picks in four of his seven NFL seasons. That's kind of wild. He comes back in April, Philly, and they draft Jalen Hurts, what, 50th-something pick. Yeah. So, like, they gave him $120 million in June. They play that fall, go to the playoffs with them, and then in April they're drafting a quarterback in the second round. 2020 season plays out. Wentz leads the league in interceptions. Doug Peterson's fired. Wentz is available, and the Colts make a move. Like, whoa, I mean, I don't understand how, for an organization that Frank Reich just came from, he can sit there and say, yep, they were wrong, I'll be right. <laughs> they drafted Hurst before he led the league in interceptions. That's that spiritual connection, man. I, dude, I I don't know if you're totally joking on that or no. not, but I think, yeah, I agree. I think there's some truth there. Yeah, um, yeah and... And maybe not a yeah, spiritual connection, deep connection, everyone to call. I don't want to act like, you know, if you have some some religious connection, you, you can't separate that. I, I just think I think that's an area that, that Frank struggled in, is separating relationships from the business decisions. That On Monday, January 9th. And how does Ballard agree with that? Uh, sorry to interject, Eddie, but like, yeah, teams in the league will tell you what they think about their players. Uh-huh. They, they will tell you, and they know. I mean, they are inside the building. They, I mean, Frank Reich, the last time he was with Carson Wentz was 2017. We're talking 2021. 20, yeah. That's a long time in the football world. So um, on Monday, January 9th, putting the date out there just so that in case you're listening to it later this week or whatnot, um, I was producing the Fan Midday Show with Charlie Clifford and Brendan King. We had David Kaplan on from ESPN 1000 in oh, Chicago. Yeah. Iconic name. And the 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 Carson Wentz name got brought up. I don't know what how, but back when that whole rumor mill was starting of him being in, uh, being talked about going to Chicago or Indianapolis, I guess Doug Peterson went to Chicago to talk to Matt Nagy. Uh, it was during like training camp or something. I I can't fully remember. And I guess Peterson told Nagy, you do not want anything to do with this guy. Stay away from him. So they didn't pursue him. Next thing you know, he ends up in Indianapolis, and look what happened. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That And Doug Peterson and Frank Reich appear to be close. You know, they were walking on the Monon last year during training camp. You know, yeah, I don't uh, – yeah. I don't know if this is your doing or Rasmus is doing, but I appreciate – Pronounce, uh, giving the pronunciation. Oh, is this our Denmark? Correct. Yeah, this is all, I think it's Rasmus, right? Rasmus, correct. This is Rasmus let, letting us know the proper pronunciation on that. Oh, m- m- muchos gracias. I don't know if that's Danish or... W- uh, that was Spanish. Whatever language um, spoken over there, but uh, good work. Uh, hi, Kevin. Longtime listener. First question. Um, thanks for a great pod i come from denmark no ikea is not the capital and uh do you know the do you know the capital kevin oh man is it copenhagen it is indeed look at you geography was was a strength of mine back in the day (laughs) the only reason why i remember copenhagen is because of the tobacco there you go uh and your show really makes me feel close to the city of indianapolis uh let us know your connection andy yeah i'm kind of curious about that uh two questions slash trivia one okay can you name the two Danish NFL players 
of all time. One is currently playing for the Browns. The other is a Hall of Famer. He doesn't even give me the answers either, so I can't tell you if you're right or wrong. Jakob Berset? Is he from Denmark? I I got nothing. Um, Boy, one is a current Cleveland Brown? Yes. I I watch a little bit of Cleveland. I, I... is it a lineman? Is it? I got nothing. I don't either. Do you Do you know the one that's in the Hall of Fame? No, no, neither. All right, we're gonna need Rasmus to give us a little bio on himself next next time on the pod, and also give us the answers. I don't even want to try to say this guy's name. Is this the Cleveland Brown or the Hall of Fame? The Cleveland Brown. Okay. I'm gonna try it though. Hijalti Froholt. H-J-A-L-T-E is the first name. F-R-O-H-O-L-D-T. What position? I do not know. Wow. You say he's got a um, he's got an actual question? Yes. Uh, number two, how much do you think it would cost to get the number one pick? I say we just do it. Go get our guy. Best. Rasmus. Well, thank you for that. Um Again, would they want a player? I, I think that's such like wishful thinking that Chicago's going to want to eat some big contract. So I, Martin Anderson, really from Denmark? He went to Ben Davis for a year as an exchange student. I should have known that. That's pathetic by me. From Copenhagen, unbelievable. Okay, what would the Bears want? They would want four thirty-five, right? Isn't that those are the two picks you have? Fourth overall and thirty-fifth overall. Yeah, that's your second rounder, and I think a future first. I think that's what they would want, and honestly, I think that's that's fine. That, or I, I think that's like acceptable. I don't think it's an extraordinary asking price. I think that's the cost of doing business. So yeah, I don't. You know, obviously Matt Eberflus likes some Colts defensive players, but. Ryan Poles also signing off on that. I don't know if that's a guarantee. Sorry. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I got a text from my boss. Oh, all get everything good? Jeez. I'm yeah. Nervous. Yeah, he just wants me to make sure I do something. Working with Scott Pollard today. Ooh, nice. How many more we got? Uh, let's see. One, two, and three. All right, let's get through these so we can get it posted. Uh, Damon, my buddy and I noticed something at the stadium on Sunday. It was the quietest I've ever heard it at Lucas Oil Stadium at times, God, was a even more than the preseason. I hate to admit it because the Patriot allegations of the past, but Lucas Oil Stadium definitely pumps in crowd noise on third downs when they show the decibel meters and ask the crowd to get loud the fake noise seemed really obvious to us (laughs) is this normal procedure for stadiums wondering if you noticed anything as well besides the audio being generally off today anyways in the stadium yeah i mean as expected it was one of the most pathetic environments I've, i've ever been in you know part of what helps an environment though is a good road crowd just get a little bit of that. I mean, hell, the loudest part of the game was the wave. When Sam Eller got to the line of scrimmage, I thought he was going to have to go silent count there. Impressive wave a couple times. I think each NFL team's allowed. I think there was like a decibel level you're allowed to get to. So maybe there is something like that. But yeah, I mean, it was a, a morgue on Sunday in there. Library. 
Just, and again, rightfully so. I'm not faulting fans. I thought it was a strong preseason crowd. About 80% in there. Uh, Creighton, what is your next head coach wish list? Mine is... He's got like six S's on this, so okay. I try to do my best there. There you go. Number one, Eric Bieniemy. Number two, Jim Harbaugh. Three, Kellen Moore. Leslie Frazier, fourth. All the way down to number 35. Jeff, it's not Sunday. It's Saturday. I would put D'Amico Ryans high on my wish list. Bingo. Me too. Um, Brian Callahan. Cincinnati's a bit intriguing to me. I, I'd kick the tires on Brian Flores. He's getting an interview with um, Cleveland? For the D.C. job. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm a little confused why Brian Flores' name is not being thrown around there from a head coaching standpoint. Yeah, I was talking with someone yesterday, and I guess next podcast, Eddie, we can get a little bit more into the candidates, because again, I don't think it's going to be a quick process, so I think nope. we can, we can kind of wait on that. Sure. Talking with someone yesterday, coached in the league for a couple decades, several teams and this person described Raheem Morris as the best combination of human and coach that he's been around ever in the NFL interesting you know Raheem Morris took that job in Tampa at the age of 32 <laughs> I'm 33 or am I 34 I'm, I'm 33 I can only imagine how much my head would be spinning at that age, and I feel like there was a lot of like Tampa's like we're going to hire your coordinators for you, like they, they like, you know like holding his hand and like he's firing his OC before the end of the preseason, just like not a good process for him. Not just learned a lot obviously since that all unfolded. He's also excuse me, him and Gus Bradley coached together for a little bit. So if you want Gus around, maybe that's a possible DC under Raheem Morris. Um, the Ben Johnson, the more I read about Ben Johnson, Eddie. Didn't Ben Johnson also have some experience with Bradley or which of the There's somebody else because there was two candidates. So Bradley's experience would be Jacksonville, the Chargers, and the Raiders. Uh, no one jumps out the page, jumps off the page at me with that. Feel free to look that up. Uh, ben Johnson, I get some Brad Stevens vibes. Really? Super brainiac. Um, I get some Brad Stevens vibes. Computer engineering, mathematics major, um, brilliant mind. I mean, the Lions finished third in points score, or third in yards, and fifth in points scored, and they traded away T.J. Hawkinson. I mean, yeah, that's that's big time. So, I'll go there on the uh, wish list front. Big Bama is the final one. With offensive line having how fitting, Big uh, Bama asking. I love offensive how Big line. Bama loves the line play. Uh, with the offensive line having a down year and you having to make decisions on Ryan Kelly, the right guard, and possibly left tackle, which is you mo- uh, which do you think is the best option to draft an offensive lineman with? A second-round pick or look for a veteran lineman to help in free agency? I like what I saw from Bernard Ryman the last couple of weeks. I think he took a couple of steps forward and can be a solid left tackle. Yeah, again, I would probably opt for a little bit more free agency on the competition front. I would agree with Ryman. You know, I'm curious what happens with Ryan Kelly. Do they view Danny Pinter as an option? I mean, it's the same regime. It's a regime that's always really liked Danny Pinter. Does Danny Pinter at center have any sort of a different opinion than Danny Pinter at guard? That's a question that I have on that front. 
Uh, again, we're in the Shane offseason. Shane Steichen. Say it again. Shane Sh- Steichen. Gus Bradley. Ooh. Oh, Chargers. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, all right, Eddie. Weekly pods in the offseason. That's the plan. Obviously, emergency pods will inevitably have to occur. Right after we record, probably, you'll be uh, at right. home and you're like, frick. That's the uh, frick is a good, a good word to use there. Uh, we'll come at you next week. Get into a little bit more of the candidates. Maybe take a look at the Colts free agents, how they should react to some of those. Uh, tons of written content up on our website, 1075thefan.com, to hopefully keep you satisfied on that. And he is Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bone. Everybody have a great week. We'll talk to you on – we'll talk to you next week.